Well, I love you guys, and it's great to see you. And uh, uh, at the end of the teaching, um, I'm also going to have Craig uh, come up, and we're going to do some prophetic ministry and uh, see where the Lord takes us in the ministry time. Um, I want you, if you have your scriptures, because I'm just going to launch right into it, I want you to go with me to Philippians chapter 2. And I always uh, do a combination of teach, preach, kind of prophetic teaching. And I want to share on this subject this morning of what I call incarnational obedience. And I will explain that uh, as we unpack the scriptures. Uh, But I want us to go over to Philippians chapter 2 and let's read uh, verse um, 3 through 8. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Selah. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind or mindset, attitude among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's ours. This type of attitude, mindset, framework for life is ours because the wellspring of it is from Christ himself. This is how Jesus lives. This is how Jesus carries his heart. And so as we abide in him and he abides in us, This mind is ours. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Would you guys say that phrase with me? He humbled himself. And then let's look at the remaining part of, of this verse. By becoming obedient. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Father, I thank you for the power of your word to transform us. We thank you that you have addressed us through your word. That you would speak to us. And Lord, we just thank you, God, for this moment that we have to hear your heart. To have you impart truth to us that we would be changed. Let every person leave here changed by your word and your spirit this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Well, as I was praying uh, about what I was to share today, I want to start out with a prophetic phrase that the Lord gave me this morning while I was praying. And this is a general word to the Big C Church that I could give if I was ministering in Wisconsin or if I was ministering in Florida or Texas, wherever, I could give this word. But I believe that we're in a season of time where God is giving corrective measures to His church. He's giving us course corrections, and this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'm giving corrective measures to my church so that they will be able to avoid the necessity of taking evasive action. And so the the term evasive action is used when an aircraft is getting ready 
to collide with something or, or there is obstruction ahead. And if you maintain that course, there is going to be de- devastation and destruction. God's intent for the church in the coming days is not for our destruction. The days, the difficulties, the seasons in which we're going to enter, because we're in perilous times, difficult times are ahead. We know that. But it is not for our destruction. And so God, by His mercy, by His grace, is right now altering the trajectory of the church to get the church back on course. Back over the target, back on target, to where we're not going to be in a desperate season or a desperate day where we'll have to take evasive action. And you know that if you've studied uh, you know, any type of, of history of air crashes, many times when they finally realized they needed to take evasive action, many times it's too late and they couldn't avoid catastrophe. And so I want us to put that in our heart as I I share and now teach out this passage of Scripture. God is giving course correction, corrective measures, so that we avoid the necessity of evasive action. One of the course corrections that the Lord is giving to the church in this hour is a um, concept that is developed over time in, in our generation where we view obedience... And we equate obedience, living a life of obedience, to a thought or a feeling. And by that, I mean that we have internalized our obedience. So many many believers are self-deceived today that they think that they're living a life of complete obedience, walking out as a fully devoted follower of Jesus, because in their thinking and in their feelings, they have internalized the word, and so they've internalized their understanding of what it means to be obedient. And so this is what this looks like when we deceive ourselves uh, with only internal obedience or obedience that equates itself to what I think about God's word or God's truth or how I feel about God's truth. Many people think or believe that something, if they think something is biblical, then they think that they're obedient. So I may think or believe that it's biblical to clap my hands in church, right? Because the word says, clap your hands, all you people. We even believe that God tells us to raise our hands or even shout unto God in worship. But many people, even though they know it's biblical to clap your hands in worship, to shout unto God with a voice of triumph, to raise their hands before the Lord without doubting and without anger, they know that's biblical, but they would never actually think about doing that when they're coming together for worship. Today, there were gatherings that met all over this region, and they read the Bible, they know the Bible, they believe what the Bible is saying to them, and they've internalized that belief, and they feel that that is truth. But most congregations did not actually worship God in spirit or in truth. And the reason why I say not in truth, because if they actually believed the Bible and if they actually accepted what God said about worship, they would have actually acted and done what the Bible said for them to do in worship. You don't have to say amen 
but I believe this is true. And so we've got to understand that God is going to bring a course correction to us to where we not just think that these things are biblically, but we begin to actually do it. I may feel like I'm humble, but not humble enough to kneel in prayer. I I may feel like I'm humble, but I'm not humble enough to kneel in prayer. Jack Hayford, who just went to be with the Lord a couple weeks ago, uh, I was in a conference where he was sharing the word, and he just said that he was on his way to London, England, uh, in a, on an international flight that flew overnight. And he said so when he was getting ready to land in London. He said that the sunrise was beginning to occur. And he said that as the sun began to rise, he said he watched an Islamic man get up and go to the front of the aircraft where there was a little more space. And he rolled out his prayer carpet and he oriented himself towards Mecca and he began to bow down in worship and he began to, you know, do what the Muslims do to begin to pray. And then he said, just as soon as this Islamic man uh, went there in front of everybody in this packed aircraft and was visibly doing, kneeling, bowing, you know, living out what he thinks is this expression of obedience to God. He said there was a Jewish man that also got up and he began to put his prayer shawl on, began to wrap the leather straps around his arms, which they began to count as, as, as uh, mantras of prayer. And he said this Jewish man began to rock back and forth and he positioned himself towards Jerusalem and he began to rock back and forth in prayer. And he said, so here is this visible demonstration of the the Islamic community bowing down to their God. Here was was this Jewish man that was willing in front of everybody to put a prayer shawl on and wrap on those prayer straps, whatever they're officially called, I do not know. Uh, but then he, he clothed himself in his prayer shawl and began to rock back and forth in prayer. And he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to Jack Hayford. He said, why are you not willing to go up in front of this aircraft and kneel before me and begin to call upon the name of Jesus? And so this is an example. Many Christians, what we, we've done is we, we believe that Jesus is Lord. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? It, but, and we have this heart reality. We've internalized this understanding of truth. But few in the church are willing to boldly declare it in the public square anymore. We, we keep our obedience internalized and we think because we conceive of it conceptually inside of us, we, we think that we're obedient. And so I encounter believers all the time who when you, you begin to ask them, you know, about their faith and lifestyle Christianity and, and the encouragement to have a living faith that is expressed and demonstrated in outward external obedience, they're, they're come back to you many times, and I think that you've probably heard this before, where they say, well, God knows my heart, right? The pushback statement is, don't judge me. God knows my heart. But God is right now bringing a corrective measure to the church and there, the, uh, to, to where what we believe and what we hold dear in our heart 
begins to come out in a, a manifested greater obedience unto the Lord. And I believe there are several reasons why we've internalized our obedience. Few believers understand the connection that what we do with our physical bodies in obedience deeply changes and shifts the unseen realm. The reason why the church is prayerless today, by and large, and I'm talking about the big C church, by and large the church is prayerless because you don't think your prayers make impact. You don't think your prayers do anything. But if we would only allow God to give us greater understanding that acts of physical obedience, you embodying the truth that you believe in, and, and you in faith and in humility start expressing in action in your physical bodies, if God would show us what it is doing, it has powerful impact in the unseen realm. Simple acts of physical, and then I'm going to add this word, incarnational obedience. That's why I read this text. In, the incarnation is when the living word, the word that existed with God, was God, and the word that was made flesh and then dwelt among us, now that word, Christ in us, now wants to begin to be incarnate in us again so that his life, his current life experience is lived out in and through and among us. How many of you believe that Jesus right now is living and that he is ruling and that he is reigning and that he's not a passive king but he is an active king and he's actively engaged in bringing his kingdom to a place where it is advancing in power and in glory. And the way that that kingdom will come is the embodying of his will in and through his church. Where he says, whatever you bind on the earth, whatever you restrict, whatever you resist, whatever you lock up, whatever you're going to do with the authority that I'm giving to you, you have the endorsement of me from heaven. I will back you up in whatever battlefield you're on. Whatever you release, whatever, whatever you see that heaven possesses and has and wants to bring in, to bring in heaven-like realities, I will through you open up the gates of heaven and allow my life to flow in and through you and change again the landscape of the world in which we live. I believe that with all of my heart. We have the endorsement of his authority. But it requires me to understand that it's not just me being in agreement with that mentally or even feel like I'm in agreement with that truth mentally. It's me obeying and demonstrating, manifesting that physical incarnational obedience to bring spiritual breakthrough and release. Many people say, I'm waiting on my breakthrough. I want to say, don't wait on your breakthrough. Be the breakthrough. Allow the Lord to manifest his life and power through you to bring breakthrough and release. Now, in the, word, in the incarnation, the word was made flesh. And I want us to look specifically again at verse 8. It says that the way that he was able to bring about salvation and redemption for all mankind and manifest God's plan and purpose in the earth was that he humbled himself 
And in that faith and humility, he became obedient to the point of death. Perfect obedience that brought him to a place where he, he fulfilled God's will and purpose to bring salvation, even to the point of death on the cross. I am so glad today that Jesus did not just feel compassion for sinners, even though he did. I'm glad that in heaven, because he, he was not thinking that equality with God was something to be grasped after, he wasn't trying to grow up to be God, he was God, right? And so he was, there was no point to prove. He didn't have to say, Father, I'm going to go do this to prove to you that I can be like you. There was no need for him to try to grow up to be anything or to prove anything. And I'm glad that in heaven, when he looked out upon fallen humanity, he, did, he didn't just say, I feel compassion towards those that are lost and broken and bound by the powers of darkness. Even though I believe that he felt it. I'm also thankful that the Lord did not just come and, and in, in a way, believe that we needed someone to die for sinners. I, I'm glad that he felt compassion, but I'm glad that that compassion motivated him for action. I thank God that he didn't just believe that someone needs to do something about the condition of humanity and their sin and brokenness. That he believed that someone needed to die. And this is where the church is. We are filled with good intentions. We, have, we, we even feel the heart of God. We feel compassion. We feel the heart. We feel the burden of the Lord. And we believe that something should be done. But my brothers and sisters today, I want to announce to us again that Jesus felt compassion for sinners. He believed that there was the necessity of death on the cross to redeem us. But I'm here to declare to you this morning that Jesus died for sinners. Come on, you can say amen better than that. I'll get Pentecostal on you if you're not careful. He felt compassion. He knew the necessity and believed that somebody needed to die. And then he embodied an obedience based out of a humility that was in him. And Jesus died for sinners. His faith, his humility manifested a perfect obedience that brought about spiritual breakthrough and release. Now, what is the greatest enemy that prevents incarnational obedience in our life? It is the self-deception that I still believe that I'm more significant than others and my interests are more important. So I want you to look back at Philippians 2.3. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, which is that I am consumed. Conceit is simply I'm consumed with my own status, my own self-importance, my own significance. Sounds like our, our perverse generation. It's amazing to me that in social media, all of the phrases that label different aspects of social media, all of them reveal a form of pride. So they say, what is your status, right? What's your status? Because conceit and pride, arrogance, is all about me maintaining a certain status, a projection of an image that I want you to believe about myself. 
One of the greatest things that is the craze of our age is that everybody is consumed about putting out pictures of themselves. And what do we call those pictures of ourselves? Selfies. Because, again, there is this blinding that pride brings us that allows us to live in a, in a self-deceived way where I am under the, the delusion that my significance and my self-importance and my status is more important than anyone else and anything else. And Paul says this, do nothing. Everybody say nothing. And I realize this is not a light and fluffy word, but, but forgive me. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, everybody say it again, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So if pride is the obsession with self-status significance, it leads to us saying that I am going to be the one that survives this thing. Oh my. I'm going to be the survivor. Nobody else may survive, but I'm going to be the one on the lifeboat. I don't care if anybody is on the lifeboat when the ship's going down, but I'm going to make sure that I'm going to survive these things. But what faith and humility looks like in incarnational obedience is totally different than any form or any fashion of conceit and pride. And I want you to very quickly, because I want to minister some things prophetically. And you know when I say quickly, you mean uh, I define that the way I, I define quickly. Okay, I want you to go with me real quickly to 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 5 as well. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject, 1 Peter chapter 5, five, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Then he says this, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives divine ability and empowerment to the humble. So in light of that, in light of this command, this imperative command, that like a servant, I'm to tie on an apron. I am to clothe myself with this humility that comes from the nature and the character of God. This is how I'm to carry myself, clothe myself. This is how I'm to act. This is how I'm to account things, counting myself, not better than others, but I'm, uh, and, and seeking my own needs and my own uh, uh, priorities, but I'm looking to others to make sure that, that we care, that we serve, that we love one another. So I, I keep this mind, this attitude. I clothe and frame my life with this foundational aspect of the character of God, His humility. Have humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud. How many, how many want to have more grace revealed in your life? More favor, more power, more enablement, but he gives grace to the humble. So he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, just quickly, I want to just unpack this passage just a little bit. It is something, humility is something that I can't say, Lord, I pray that you would give me more humility. 
that, Lord, you're going to take care of my humility. You're just going to open up a grace package of humility so I can be humble. You can pray for it every day, all day. But there is this imperative command that humility comes when we learn to grow and lean in to God's grace and we intentionally humble ourselves. Say the phrase with me, humble yourself. It is something that we intentionally think. It's the way we think. It's the way we make decisions. And it's what we do daily. I'm going to say it again. It is something that we intentionally think and decide. But ultimately, it's what we have to do daily. We, we keep ourselves positioned in humility under the mighty hand of God. We constantly are putting on, not taking off, but I'm constantly putting on and reclothing myself. And if I feel like my clothes fell off, the clothing that I have to wear is I have to wear the garments of humility. They are part of the robes of righteousness and the garments of salvation. He clothes the righteous in humility. The way the righteousness emanates from us comes from a spirit of humility. The way he clothes us with garments of salvation is they emanate. They can be seen. How many of you want your salvation to be seen? Your, your robes that you've been clothed in in the righteousness of God to be visible to those that desperately need to see righteousness in an unrighteous world. The way that it is seen is not me projecting, look how righteous I am. I am. Look how saved I am. No, what, what empowers righteousness and salvation is the foundation of it. The birthplace of it is he clothes and beautifies his saints with and in humility. So if you really want to look beautiful, how many of you want to look spiritually beautiful? I, I want to have an aroma and a fragrance and a beauty about me where people go, there's something spiritually attractive about that man. I'm drawn to something that's going on that, that is internalized in him, but it comes out of him and it's visibly seen. I want to be able to partake of that type of quality and essence of character in life. The reason why the world is not attracted to us is we have taken these truths that we, we read about and we've internalized them. They're no longer visible, but also we've me-centered the truth so much. Where the truth is for me and the truth is for you, but it doesn't stop there. The truth is for you to transform you so the truth can transform you so that it can be transfigured through you. It's about Christ being revealed. So I've got I've to, in every situation, I've got to say, Lord, you're calling me to walk out a walk that is not easy, but you give grace. You give more grace when I clothe myself with my humility and I humble myself. When everybody is taking, you're empowering me to give. When everybody wants to be served, you are empowering me with a greater grace so I can start serving. And when everybody 
is waiting to be commanded, forced to obey. I'm already responding to your will. This is where the church is at. We have me-centered our Christianity, and so we want to be served. We're ready to take what's ours. And I, I understand some of the theology behind that of we've been enriched in Christ. But there is this thing where God wants to now take it from being internal to external, where we realize that what he has served us, what he has given to us, what he is commanding us to engage in in obedience to his will is not something that we wait till he has to force us to obey, right? That, that there is this thing, what I've been served from him, I'm willing to start serving. What, I, what, I, what, I, what I've been given in Christ, I'm ready to start giving it away. Without, without accounting the cost, without wondering what the sacrifice is going to be. Whether, whether it's going to take everything or some things, God is bringing his church to a place of voluntary abandonment in him. Where we're willing to give it all the way, all, uh, give it all away all the time. We're willing to serve until there is nothing of us left. And then say, when I feel like there's nothing left, he is able to come in and give a revelation of himself in, in, in a greater way to me. Because when I reach the end of myself, most of the time, there is a revelation of more of Christ. And we must be a people that respond to him before he has to force us to obey the command. That was one of the frustrating things when I was raising uh, my boys. I'd use my kids as an illustration because I lived the life with them. But they would, they would see the need. They would know what needed to be done. You know, and it wasn't easy being a pastor's kid because, you know, pastor's kids always end up setting up the chairs, stacking the chairs, cleaning up after church activities. And so after something was done, you know, we'd need to stack the chairs or set up the chairs or set up the tables and do all this. And, and we would start just setting an example and they would just stand there <laughs> until you had to say, can you guys also please help? A lot of the church is right there in that place. We, we're waiting. We have to wait until we're, we're commanded in a direct way. That's not humility. Humility is already saying, this is not about me. This is a, I'm going to look for the interest of the Lord in this situation. I'm going to look for the interest of others. I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. And I'm going to go without having to be told that I need to do so. Okay, I want to move on. I think maybe you got that point. You go, stop and move on, Lynn. So faith and humility is seen and revealed then not in some laboratory or some vacuum, but faith and humility is always revealed in the context of relationships. That's why, it ha that's why we call it incarnational obedience because Jesus took on flesh to be, everybody say, among us and to be with us. 
So when I talk about, okay, God is challenging the church to take corrective measures and to clothe ourselves with humility and allow faith and humility to be manifest in an incarnational way where the word becomes flesh and is transfigured through us. The reason why faith and humility is not just a theory. I can't say, guys, Today, I'm gonna, at the end of the service, I have a sign-up sheet, and I'm going uh, to do a TED Talk, and I'm going to teach a master's class on humility. And those that get the diploma, you're good to go with humility and faith for the rest of your life. I, I wish it was that simple. It's not. It has to be lived out. Our faith and humility, this, this, this foundational characteristic of Christ, has to be expressed in the context of relationship. It's towards one another. So you go, Lynn, okay, what's your point there? I think you guys know what the point is. It's one of the most difficult crosses that we carry. Because on a daily basis, whether it's in marriage or whether it's with your siblings and in your family or whether it's at work or whether it's at school, no matter what the context, you're going to have to make a daily decision to clothe yourself and to humble yourself and again, allow God to reveal himself through you even in the most difficult of relational moments. What's, what's the reward of faith and humility when it becomes a living reality in our life. There's a little phrase in this passage of Scripture. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is an Old Testament concept. This is echoes of the Old Testament. Nehemiah said this when he was talking about uh, the restoration project of the walls of Jerusalem. And he was a second reformer that came in after Ezra. Ezra was the priest that went there to begin to rebuild the temple. And Ezra, when he went in, was not completely successful to accomplish all the restorative work that they intended to do. And so, after a time of Ezra laboring and sowing and working to see the temple rebuilt and Israel restored back to the land, Again, he wasn't completely successful. There was much work left to be done. As a matter of fact, the condition, living conditions of the people of God were still very difficult and they were, they were just eking out survival in that land that had been abandoned for 70 years and, and, and the fields were, had not been plowed and there was food supply problems and there was all kind of difficulty there was pressures without and within and then God spoke to Nehemiah God put a put a burden in him he felt it he felt the heart of God in this situation and then he began to have thoughts that maybe things need to change you know I've heard the reports of what's happening something needs to happen so he felt it and he thought it but then as he prayed into it he said I felt the good hand of God upon me you know why he felt the good hand of God upon him because he was humble enough to stay under the hand of God and sense what the hand of God means and what the hand of God is when we're living under it. 
most of the church doesn't understand even the awareness of living under the mighty, the good hand and the mighty hand of God. Why? Because we become so self-sufficient in ourselves. We are so self-reliant and coming up with our own ideas, strategies, and plans that, that we were unaware when the hand of God lifted off of us. But God is bringing the church to a moment where all of our, our talents, our giftings, our abilities, our resources, our finances are not going to be enough for the need and the times that we live in. And we're going to need the hand of God. We're going to need the hand of God, the arm of the Lord to arise and, and to have him stretch out his mighty hand again and reveal it in a generation that has not known his works or his mighty power that he does by those hands. But Nehemiah, all of a sudden, when he began to feel the heart of God and he started to think the heart, uh, 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 the thoughts of God that God had upon his mind of his intention for the people of God, when he aligned himself to God's purpose and there was a willingness to surrender to the will and the purpose of God for his people, Nehemiah felt the hand of God upon him. I love it when he went into Jerusalem. He didn't say, guys, I'm here. Ezra failed. I've showed up to take over, and things are going to go great because I'm the man in charge now. I'm, I'm, I'm here, and I'm the answer to what you need. That was not Nehemiah's attitude. He came in there in a way in which he was hidden, and he began to survey, and then he just began to communicate the, the burden of the Lord that was upon him. But this is what he testified to. He didn't say, guys, I have been empowered with great resources from the king of Persia. We're in the chips. We've got money. We can do this. The thing that he talked about was not how there was protection from the Persian army, that, that there, there was a written order from the king, an edict that gave him the legal right to do what he was doing. None of that was mentioned to the people of God. The only thing Nehemiah mentioned is he said, I'm here to share with you a vision and a dream that the Lord has put in my heart. And in, in, my, in my own flesh, at great risk, I'm willing to uh, uh, move by the burden of God. And the thoughts that God has towards his people. And I'm willing to be an answer to my own prayers. I cried out for my people. But I'm not just willing to pray for them and intercede for them. I'm willing to, in an incarnational way, embody the burden of the Lord. The will of God. And I'm willing to be an answer to the prayers that I prayed. And I want you to know the reason why I know that God will do it. Because since I've been willing to incarnate His will in my life and to be obedient, this is what has happened. I've sensed his good hand upon me. And I tell you what, when the good hand of God comes upon a church, you can do everything possibly wrong strategically. You can make every mistake in leadership. 
You, you can make miscalculations and you can just bumble, fumble your way into, into mistake after mistake. But there is one thing that is the great equalizer. It is the favor and the power of God upon a people that even in weakness, even in mistakes, even in error, even, even, even in, in our miscalculation, God says, I can take and I can, I can, I can correct all the things in which you have, you have made in, 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 in misjudgment. But what I will do is I will begin to go before you and I will be with you and I will be your rearward guard and I will take the crooked places and make the straight, rough places plain. I will make the way before you. So sometimes what we do is we just think, well, we made mistakes and we messed up and so our goose is cooked and we're just a bunch of failures. And sometimes our weakness and our brokenness brings us to the place that God has always intended for us to be and that is completely dependent upon Him. Now, one final thing, and I'm going to stop because we're going to minister some things prophetically. This passage of Scripture many times has been quoted as like the magic elixir for promotion. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That in due season. And when is your due season? Now. <laughs> I want the promotion and I want it now, Lord. And I volunteer for promotion right here, right now. And so what I will do is I will posture myself in a way in which I look and feel humble. How I many of you know fake humility is fake humility? And you may be able to fake it and cause other people to be faked out by your fake posturing. But you know who you're not fooling? God. So I was talking to a brother just a couple days ago, and he's kind of, you know, a son project for me as a spiritual father. And I love some spiritual sons that are just absolutely open and receptive, and they're just so willing to listen. But then there are other sons that God gives you, and they already know everything. <laughs> and so they're there to enlighten you. And they think that when they go, I'd love to meet with you because I want you to speak into my life. And you un then understand the, the reason and the intention for the meeting was not that I could speak into their life, but that they want to speak into my life, their importance. And so this, this brother in the Lord, I love him. He's got a calling on his life. I believe God in the future is going to do great things with him, wonderful things with him. Tremendous gifting, tremendous talents. But as I was talking to him, he started this kind of, it was criticism about the church, not just our church, just the church in large, because the church in large is missing out on who he is. And then he began to lament about how that he doesn't understand why God has kept him in this place of limitation that he feels, restriction. How many of you ever felt restricted by God? Where God says, 
go to your room. <laughs> and you go, no, I want to be in the living room when everybody's coming over. There are times when I've had to tell my kids, go to your room. This is going to be an adult, adult time. And Karis, who's a social animal, is like this. When we have people come over and it's going to be counseling or something like that, uh, Karis, because we have kind of a circular thing where you can go from our kitchen, dining room, into the living room, and then down a hallway, kitchen, dining. And so the other day, somebody came over for fellowship, but also some counsel. And I noticed Karis was like this. And I said, Karis, I need you to go back and do your schoolwork because we're going to talk right now. And we're going to talk about things that I need you. This is adult time. And she said, okay, Dad. She went upstairs and then she came back down and she went into the kitchen. And then she <laughs> went through the kitchen, came through the dining room, and she went like that. And I could see her and I said, Karis, I'm telling you, this space is for adults. I need you to go up to your room. And she goes, well, I just wanted to uh, hang out just a little bit too. And I said, but that's what we do. We like the big space, right? There are times where God puts us in a very narrow space. And we go, why would he do that? So I asked this brother, and he was talking about, I don't understand why people don't see the gift that I have and why they're not giving me the opportunities that I that I, I think God has put in my heart. And I just told him, I said, you know, my brother, I said, do you know who's responsible for your promotion? No one can promote you. The only one that is in the promoting business. And when you promote yourself and you think, finally, I'm going to, I'm going to pro, I'm tired of waiting on God. I'm going to promote myself. And then you end up in the cellar. And not, not just in your bedroom. You end up in the cellar. God takes you into a deeper place of hiddenness. So this is the thing. If the church doesn't get the humility, faith and humility thing, and humbling ourselves, and then allow His life, not my life, His life to be expressed, we're not going to see the promotion that God wants to bring to His people. Because He really wants to make us the head. And not be the tail. He really wants us to be above. To where his glory can be revealed through us. So if you look at this passage and go. There's my route. To promotion. Understand. That the humility. Produces. Favor and grace. That causes promotion. To just supernaturally happen. And so don't focus on the word promotion. Focus on the phrase, humble yourself and get back under his mighty good hands. Okay, I'm going to share. Craig, why don't you come up? I'm going to quickly go through some prophetic things that I felt like the Lord gave me this morning. And these are for prophetic words for the church, Big C Church. And I think they have a prophetic application. And I've been stewing on this one for a week. Uh, but I, I, and so if you guys can jot some of these things down, because I think they, in it is prophetic wisdom and insight for the church. 
Lord's been speaking to me through John chapter 4, and I didn't know if it was going to be the message that I was going to preach today or if this was a prophetic word that I'm starting to carry for the church in general. John chapter 4, Jesus at the woman of the well. The Bible tells us that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And those of you that are students of the Bible know that Jesus did not have to go through Samaria geographically. Most of the Jews bypassed that thing because they felt that Samaria was a lost cause. But there was this moment where Jesus felt compelled. Again, the burden of the Father motivated him, and he said, we're going to go right through Samaria. But there was this phrase that caught my attention where it said that when in the conversation with the woman of the well, she said this. She said, give me this water so I do not have to come back to this place. That tells me that she obviously, we know, had been to that place over and over again. Hot noon sun because everybody had ostracized her. She would go there by herself because there was a lot of shame, condemnation, criticism, so she went there. And so I want you to understand that there are places of shame and disappointment and brokenness that people have. And in those, when they're confronted over and over again with their, their failing and their brokenness and their shame, they start praying and they don't even know they're praying. So what... I felt like when I was reading that scripture, the Lord started speaking to me. The reason why she didn't want to go back there, because she told Jesus, give me the water where I never have to come back here again. So what would that look like? I guarantee you that woman, many times at noon, all by herself, drawing upon the water, alone with her own shame, said, I don't want to be here. I never want to be here again. God, Please, is there a way out? God, there are so many cries. And again, if, if we could have God open our heart or our ears for a moment, can you imagine the cacophony of cries that are just in Newcastle, Henry County alone? They don't even know they're praying. But, but there's a wife that is saying, oh God, our marriage is over. Our marriage is over. God takes those cries and he transforms them into prayer. They don't even know they're praying, but they're praying. So this woman, one day at the well, she's crying, I hate coming here. And then the father sets in motion to move his son and preposition him at the place of her pain. Now, Mike had talked about how God sends rescue to us far ahead of time. I'm going to now take that truth and I'm going to look at the other side. Just as God sent a caravan to be the rescue mission for Joseph from his brothers, we're the caravan. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because sometimes we can go, no, I want the rescue, Jesus. We've got we've to take these truths and understand you have been rescued. Jesus has rescued you, and he's rescued you time and time and time and time again. Sorry. Now God wants you to be a deliverer, a rescuer. He wants to raise you up to be the one that is moved with his heart 
incarnational obedience and preposition you where sinners come back to their place of pain, the answer to God, her prayer is found there yes. through us. So this is a word that God's going to start doing with his people. God is going to start if we will be sensitive to him. God is going to start dropping into our hearts burdens, burdens that we start carrying, that we sense, that are going to change our travel plans, our daily habits and patterns. As a Jewish rabbi, to get to where we're going, we're just going to go ahead and take the bypass around Samaria. We're going to do 465. Not going to go downtown, right? Indy, we're going to take the bypass again. But Jesus was compelled to go through. And this is what? If we will allow God to redirect our steps when those burdens come, understand God's going to preposition us. There is this increasing level of burden that God wants to give us for the lost. I'm telling you right now, it's going to get intense because God's going to start resensitizing the church to how lost humanity is. And God wants you to be at the well when she comes, where she has cried, I don't want to be here. I never want to come back. And he's going to have you be the answer to the prayer. Watch out. And so that's a word I want to sow into your hearts of you follow the burden of the Lord and allow God to take you different directions than your normal patterns and routines. Second word that I want to give you, and this is one I've carried for about a month. Because the Lord is going to begin to manifest, and I'm going to have you write this scripture down, Isaiah 63, 1-5. It is about the king coming out of Basra as a warrior, and his garments are dripping with blood. There has been a revelation of Jesus as bridegroom. There's been a revelation of Jesus as king. But there's a third dimension that's going to come. And in our country, we're going to understand, not only in our country, but in the nations of the earth. Jesus is like the warrior king coming out of Basra in this hour. And he is coming now to judge the nations. He's coming to judge our nation. Matter of fact, the Lord gave me this phrase, here comes the judge. Those of you that understand him as bridegroom, those of you that understand him as king, there is a revelation that's going to need to come to the body lest we misunderstand his intention of what he's doing in our country. We must also receive the revelation of him as judge because here comes the judge. And, and as he begins to judge the nations, and judge our nation, there is going to be this fear of the Lord that grips the people of God. But as the spirit of the fear of the Lord grips the people of God, it's going to heal us from the fear of man. And there is going to come a boldness and an authority to the church to speak into a nation that's incurring the judgments of the Lord. And with clarity and with boldness, we are going to extend an invitation of refuge to those that are shaken in the time of shaking that is coming. And this is practically what this is going to look like. The Lord years ago spoke to me that I'm going to create regions of refuge. 
But I even feel like the Lord is wanting to say to his church, not only is there going to be regions of refuge, cities of refuge, but there are going to be houses that will become places of refuge and shalom. God's healing, wholeness, and peace. God, in this hour, because it's going to shake sinners, it's going to shake the most hardened atheist. Those that have had no time for God, no thought of God in their thoughts, in their heart, God is going to shake them so much. And so that's why there's going to come this first. The, the prodigals that have left the faith, the prodigals that are the wayward sons and daughters, they're going to know where to go. They're going to run back to the house. That's coming first. But then the second, we're going to see sinners by the thousands run to the church because they're going to see that the church is a place of refuge in the midst of a time of judgment. So we must position ourselves to allow our sacred spaces of our house to be a place of spiritual refuge and peace. Matter of fact, it is going to be this reality of Passover that is going to be. Those that enter into houses that are under the blood will understand. They find safety and security there because of the power and the presence of God that is upon that house. So some of you have restricted your house to have, have no trespassing signs up in the spirit and, and you have secured perimeters around your property. Some of you have created so many barriers. You have spiritual cantina wire. This is my castle. This is my house. God's going to say, I want your house in the days to come because I want it to be a place of refuge and they're going to be coming as the Lord comes in a year of redemption. Isaiah 63, 1 through 5, he said, this is a year of redemption. And the reason why the Lord is going to judge things is because he is going to redeem his people from the plans of the enemy. So the judgment is not to destroy his people, but it is to uh, judge uh, the activity of the enemy that has tried to set up a plan to destroy God's people. This is going to be like an Esther hour. Remember Haman had a plan to destroy God's people. And God showed up and he allowed judgment to occur upon the plot and the plan of the enemy. That's why judgment is going to come in our nation. There are people that are conspiring against the church even now to destroy her. And God is going to come as judge, and it's going to be a year of redemption. He's going to buy back his people, and God is going to allow his people to be known in this land. This is my people. Do not touch my anointed. But God's going to purify us in the process. We're going to lose our fear of men. One, uh, one other word, Craig, and then I'm going to let you go. This is going to be, and this is specifically for this church, I felt like the Lord said, this is going to be, it came to pass hour for this church. This is going to be a, a it came to pass moment. It came to pass. The phrase, it shall come to pass. Many of you are not going to say it will come to pass. This is going to be a season in this church where you're going to say it in the past tense. It came to pass. Not it shall come to pass, but this is going to be a season in this church's life where you're going to start seeing it has or it came to pass moment for this church. 
So I want to say, get ready with anticipation and expectation of the Lord starting to fulfill things in a more rapid way. What you, what you contended, wept for, sowed for, cultivated, all those things, it's going to be uh, an exciting season. And you're going to say, we worked a lot harder in past to try to bring it to pass. And now, since we have no hope that it would come to pass, God is going to do it by his mighty hand. Eric, Tom, leaders here. It's going to be in. It has come to pass. We've lived to see the fulfillment of his word. Final one. I felt like somebody here has received a medical report. And I feel like you're very private with what you have received. The Lord wants you to know, do not worry or be discouraged for the Lord is with you. Be settled, fixed in your heart to fix your gaze only upon him. Because it was an unsettling report. Understand this little phrase. There's always a test in the testimony. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to reassure you. This is for the glory of his name. The test will result in a revelation of the glory for his name. So the Lord wants this word to be spoken over you to encourage you to settle your heart. This has unsettled you. Settle your heart. Fix your gaze. Walk through the test by faith and understand that there's always the test in the testimony but this is for the revelation of the glory of God. The outcome of it is going to be a revelation of the glory of his name. Okay, amen. I want to just speak those over you and bless you with them. Craig, I'm going to turn you loose. Thanks, Lynn. Um, I just wanted to share a couple things, not just to the body, but also to the leaders um, here. And it's one of those things that, you know, we realize where we're at and the word that Lynn brought forth today you know, right out of Ephesians 4.11. So we, we've got the, the apostolic and we've got the prophetic word that's been spoken, but then we have to do our part, right? So it's one of those things that inside of us, and as I'm looking out, we have to make a change. We have to dig inside of ourselves and we have to root out all those things that we thought we were not. And we have to become those things that he said we were. And so God is taking and he's moving a body of people and he's taking the leaders and sometimes the leaders get discouraged and sometimes the body gets discouraged at the leaders and who they are. And worship today was, was, was wonderful, but if you really wanted to nitpick, you could nitpick even while well, it was too loud or it was too this or too that. But you can also do that with your leadership. One of the things that I realized when, when Lynn was speaking and the Lord just really impressed upon me is that, you know, we need to stop looking at the people, but we have to start looking at God in them. So if we see, because we all have flaws, right? We are a broken people. God wants us to come before him. He wants us to change the very nature of who we are and who we think we can be but he wants to work in us to become what he has called us to be so it's not just the leaders uh, for them to do everything in the body of Christ it takes the body as a whole to do the things that God wants to do even here in Newcastle so it's everybody doing their part 
It's everybody lifting up the leaders of the church. It's everybody lifting up those that are broken. You know, we at Adoration in La Crosse, we went back 30 years to a prophetic word that was given because Adoration Church was a church that were down to 20 people and, and ready to just sell the church and break up. But God spoke to those 20 to intercede and to pray. And God brought that thing back full circle. He redeemed it. He spoke life into it and breath into it. And now it's a body that's growing and there's, you know, just people coming on a weekly basis because of who he is, not because of what a person has done. But if it wasn't the people in the body doing the work of God and going before, that church would have disbanded and there would be nothing. But now there's a group of people that have decided that they're going to take the city for Jesus, like Newcastle. We are going to take the city. But the only way that we can do that is if we get involved. If we take the words that are spoken, the truths that were there, if we take those things, we grasp onto those things, we not just speak those things just to ourselves and say, yes, I'm a better person now, but we go out. We have to obey. We have to be on our knees. We have intercessors. We have prayer teams. We have prophetic teams. But we also have to do our part. We have to be able to, to go out and to reach those that are lost. We have to go out to those widows and those orphans. We have to be that body that cares about the body of Christ. One of the other things that we've done in the Eric, I know that you do that here, and I know Karen's with the children now, is that you know, we believe in generational discipleship. You know, so we take the old people, like, you know, I'm going to say I'm part of that older generation. And we take those that are younger with the generation, and we just, you know, that's, that's life. It's a commitment that we have with those people. And we lead them, we guide them, we take their hand, we walk with them through everything that they're doing. And we see the miracles happen because of it. But we have to do our part. We have to be able to give of ourselves. Because it just doesn't happen on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening or a Tuesday night. It has to be a lifestyle that has to be made that we have to change in. Every person in here has a responsibility. Has a responsibility to God. Has a responsibility to your neighbor. Has a responsibility to the city. That those that are lost would come in. Now, Lynn spoke a prophetic word that the prodigals would be returning back to the church, and it's interesting, and when I talked to Elder earlier, I said, the prodigals are going to come back. They're going to come back to the house of the Lord, and that's the very beginning, and then the thousands are going to come, but where do those thousands come if we don't do our part? We must do our part. We have to do our part. God's not going to just take one or two people. He's going to take the body. He's going to take the ecclesia. He's going to bring us together. And it's going to be a mighty, mighty work of God. Amen? Amen. I know that, Lynn, you had a word for um, somebody here, a medical issue. I also um, have, and I just really felt that there was somebody, and I believe it was the left leg. Um, and I don't know if it's a shin or if it's the lower part of the leg, but there's a lot of pain 
that's there, and the Lord just told me to speak that out. If this, is that anybody in, in here this morning? That'd be you in your left leg. Okay, so I want to, to pray for you um, and you. Oh, this is awesome. This is good. God's good. So this is the thing that God wants to do with his body. It, God is in the business of healing. And God wants to touch his kids. And he wants to make them whole. But it just doesn't stop there. God then wants to take that testimony that you receive from your healing to pass it and to give it and to pray for others. He wants to be able to do that with you. So, and Eric, I know that you guys, you do this, you pray for the sick. I know that hands are laid on and people are healed. But we have to take it further than that. We have to start being in the business of doing that outside the four walls. We have to get rid of the fear of man, of people. <clears throat> I'm going to say this. I and I wasn't going to. I, I want to tell you, I'm just obedient to what God wants me to be. I'm not a wordsmith. I'm not very charismatic. I'm in construction. That's what I do. I could even say, I'm kind of dumb. But I look at the disciples and where they came from. These guys are, okay, I'm a carpenter. They're a fisherman. They didn't know anything, but they were willing. We have to get past of who we think we are. Because God wants to take us those that are illiterate, those that don't think they can be used. He wants to take and he wants to use us in a mighty way. Like Lynn shared earlier is that, you know, uh, one of the things that we do is we have a tendency to, you know, look in the, in the mirror and see, oh, man, this guy's in his 60s. He's old. He can't do anything for God. I don't walk in front of the mirrors very often because I don't like seeing that, but you know, God, no matter what, he wants to use us. He wants to use us where we're at. He wants to use us in the field. He wants to use us in the schools, the high schools. He wants to use us in the beauty salons. He wants to use us when we go out to eat and when we have dinner. There are those out there, and we forget that they need Jesus. There are souls that are dying, and they've never heard Jesus. We have to be able to come out or under that rock and to expose Jesus to them. Otherwise, we failed.
Otherwise, we aren't what God has called us to be and to do. And I just, I want to be that servant of God that, Lord, use me. Use me in any way. Use me in every way. And just tell me where to go. I want to be that person. When he tells me to turn left, I turn left. When he tells me to turn right, I turn right. When he tells me to go forward, go forward. Because that's what it's all about. And he loves me. And he knows who I am. And he calls me by name. And that's what he wants for each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. So if I could, if I could have you, and if, if there's anybody else, and Lynn, are you going to join me up here? If there's anybody else that would like prayer, if there's anybody else that, you know, if, if you're feeling or if you have doubts or if there's just that place that you're just wondering, you know, what's my next step? Where am I going to go? Um, don't leave here until you hear from the Lord. And I think that's the most impressive thing that I got out of Lynn's message today is that I didn't l- hear Lynn Furl, but I did hear the voice of God. And when that happens, I mean, it just excites me because there's power in the words. There's power that comes from that apostolic prophetic gifting that happens in the body of Christ. And, you know, we we are so blessed to have men, when I say men, all the leaders in a body. And we just need to continue, need to continue to lift them up and to pray for them on a daily basis. Amen? Amen. Yes. Thanks, Craig. Craig, if you don't mind, what we'll do is we'll, I know George has on crutches. We may have you guys over here to pray for him. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and dismiss, but if you do want prayer, we, we want to encourage you. Uh, George, we want you to go ahead and make your way up here, and he'll pray, and then whoever the other people were with for that word of knowledge, but we also... Um, want any of you who want prayer, but I also want, if I could, have Jeff and Susan or Jeff and Michelle Hughes come up over here. I really felt earlier there was this word of the Lord for somebody for salvation, and maybe you're here today where you have, you've just not made that commitment to the Lord, or you've not made this confession of faith with Christ. We're, we're going to have Jeff and Michelle over here, and if you are here this morning where you just know the Lord is calling you and you feel it inside. We want to give you an opportunity to come to know the Savior. Amen. So uh, let's just pray and end the service. Father, we thank you for your presence. And God, we thank you for this word of, of humility and breaking off pride. And Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that God, we would be a people who hear your voice and don't internalize our obedience. But Father God, that incarnationally we would begin to be and people would begin to see our obedience and see our humility as we move towards you. Father, we love you and we honor you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said...